0: I know some of you could probably relate to if you've ever gone somewhere and like sporting events since I spend a lot of time at those venues it's always fun to watch somebody who's bluffing sitting in someone else's seat (laughs) you know and they look at them like well do you have have your tickets can I see your stuff and and they're they're rummaging through theirs going "Um, oh I seem to miss well you can go ahead and sit here I'll go somewhere else but uh, you know it's just general admission seating here. Hey, uh, before, before I get started, I want, to, um, I want to take a moment just to commend you for your graciousness last week in a very difficult situation, and I want to encourage all of you to continue to do so. You know, you'll never go wrong doing right before the Lord. And uh you know love and grace and graciousness and trusting in the lord um, will we'll, we'll never will never go wrong doing that. so I want to encourage you in that area. second thing is um, as of a week or so ago there was unknown exactly how things would turn out as as um, this process had continued and so we're, we're at a point now where we, we know and we're moving forward, we're pressing on to what, what uh, lies ahead, we're forgetting what lies behind and, and we're going to move forward in a way that's honoring to the Lord. And hopefully by Tuesday we'll have a facility located, uh, we've met with some folks and uh, I think by Tuesday we should be able to have that done so that we will continue on. Uh, we'll be here next week, but the week after that, we'll, uh, we'll be in a new facility that God is graciously providing for us. So we're looking forward to that. So um, in light of all that. Now let's get to the good stuff. to tell you where that new facility is. <laughs> For you, we got a special place lined up. <laughs> but I thought you said make a right at this street. <laughs> Purpose. Purpose. What comes to mind when you see this word? Purpose. You know, if you ever heard a child say something like, hey, hey, you did that on purpose. You know, mom, dad, they did that on purpose. He did that on purpose. She did that on purpose. Purpose. Not by accident, not by coincidence, by intention, with an object in mind, working towards an end result. Purpose. To have a purpose behind all that we do and all that we say. What's the purpose? You know, the following story illustrates actions with a purpose in mind. Four strangers traveled together in the same compartment of a European train. Two men and two women, they faced each other. One woman was very wealthy, sophisticated, 70 years old plus. She was decked out in the finest of furs and jewelry. Next to her sat a beautiful young woman, about 19 years old, who looked like something right off the cover of a fashion magazine. Across from the older lady was a very mature-looking man in his mid-50s who was a highly decorated colonel in the Air Force. And next to the colonel sat a young private fresh out of boot camp. As these four strangers traveled, they talked, they chatted about trivial things until they entered an unlit tunnel. And there they sat in complete darkness and total silence until the sound of a distinct kiss broke the silence. Following the kiss, a loud slap could be heard throughout the cabin. Now, in the ensuing period of silence, the four strangers sat quietly with their own thoughts. The old lady was thinking, isn't it wonderful that even in this permissive day and age, there are still young women who have a little self-respect and dignity? The young woman, shaking her head and greatly puzzled, asked herself, why in the world would any man in his right mind want to kiss an old fossil like that when I'm sitting right here? The colonel Rubbing his sore face was outraged that any woman could ever think that a man in his position would try to sneak a kiss in the dark. And the private, grinning from ear ear to ear, was thinking, what a crazy world we live in when a private can kiss the back of his hand and smack a colonel in the face and get away with it. (laughs) Now there's a guy with a purpose. Now, granted, that was a negative purpose, but a purpose nonetheless. A purpose. You know, on a more positive note, God is a God of purpose. You know, and all that he says and does are in accordance with his purpose. You know, Lamentations 2.17 says, The Lord has done what he proposed. He has accomplished his word, which he has commanded from days of old. Time after time, we see in the New Testament events that fulfilled God's promises or his purpose. These things happened so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. We're told that Jesus died and and he died on the cross. And he rose again according to the scriptures that they would be fulfilled as God had promised, as God had purposed. You know, with that in mind, we move to a question um, that's relevant to our study addressing who is Jesus. And so far, we've learned of the names that the Bible tells us that are attributed to him, the claims, the works of Christ as taught in in Scripture. And today, we're going to examine what the Bible teaches as to the purpose of Jesus. The purpose of Jesus. You know, what was Christ's purpose? Was it to, to be a good guy? To be a moral teacher? To be a prophet, you know, an idea, you know, a way to live, uh, to be a role model. What was his purpose? You know, why did God send his son in human flesh? And what is his purpose today? What is his purpose? And if you turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, that's what the focus of our study will be. And that is to see what the Bible clearly teaches as to the purpose of Jesus Christ. What is his purpose In Hebrews chapter 10, starting with verse 14, we find one of the purposes of our Lord very clearly laid out before us. In Hebrews 10, starting with verse 4, we read these words. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he, Jesus, Messiah, comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the role of the book it was written of me, to do thy will, O God. After saying above sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast not desired, nor hast thou taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law, then he said, behold, I have come to do thy will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies are made a footstool footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. From this passage, we see clearly that one of the fundamental purposes of Jesus Christ was to do the will of God. He says, I come to do your will. As he explains in this, in this particular passage, as he writes to Jewish believers who had intimate knowledge of the Old Testament and the sacrificial system, the theme of Hebrews is that is the superiority of Christ and thus of Christianity. You know, the words better or perfect appear often Throughout this particular book, those who were familiar with the Old Testament and the sacrificial system recognized what was being said that everything that God did, He did with a purpose. And the purpose was to lead to the day when Jesus Christ would come and offer a sacrifice that was once done for all of eternity, complete, lacking nothing. As he goes through and he said, you know, the the blood of, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And yet at the same time, that was what God told them to do. And there was a purpose behind it for them to see how futile it was to continue to do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Because we all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect. You know, there's always a continual sacrifice that had to be made to cover sin with the blood that was offered. And as he goes through it, he says, sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. What was the purpose of Jesus Christ coming in human flesh? What was the purpose of him setting aside, as Philippians 2 says, all those attributes, that deity, so to speak, that came as privileged position of God and taking on humbly the form of humanity and being made in the likeness of man, the appearance of man. What was God's purpose in doing that? We're told very clearly so that he could come and offer a sacrifice for sin for all of eternity. See, as we look through this, we see that Jesus said, you know what? It wasn't the sacrifices that God was interested in. It was the obedience to God's commandment. They did what they were told to do. The sacrifices did not take away their sin. It covered sin, but it pointed to the cross where Jesus' sacrifice would take away sin for all of eternity. You know, as Jesus said, he said, you know what, even as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man would be lifted up. That all who would believe on the word of God, all that would believe that God said is true and accurate. That if you trust in Jesus Christ, his death, his sacrifice on the cross, your sins will be forgiven. And as we look at this, we see that sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifice, thou hast not desired You've not taken any pleasure in those things. Behold, I have come to do your will. You know, turn with me to Psalm 51 as David recognized and understood that, you know, God's not interested in the external appearances. God's not hung up on what he sees externally. You know, if you remember, even as there was a succession that was made and David was part of that, you know, God said that, hey, I'm not like a man, I don't look at the outward appearance. I don't get hung up on what we see from the external. God says, I'm not like, you know, I'm not like man who considers the outward appearance, but what? But I look at the heart. He says, I look at the heart, and I know what I see. In Psalm 51, verse 16, David writes, For thou dost delight, dost not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. Thou are not pleased with burnt offerings. You know, I'd do that if this would ma- make up for my sin of adultery and murder. I would do that. I would do anything that you ask me to do, but you're not pleased with any of that. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, thou wilt not despise. For years in my own life, I always try to make some kind of a deal or work a deal or cut a deal with God. You know, it's like, God, I'm doing these things. I know that they're wrong. I'm not really sure, but I got this funny feeling that they are. And you know what? Let Let me make it up to you. Let me do something for you never broken of my sin, never repentant of what I was doing, never acknowledged what I was doing was wrong. It was always some kind of a deal. God, you let me do this, and I'll do this for you, some kind of exchange or bargain that was taking place. And God said, I'm not, I, I don't want any of that. A broken heart, one who sees sin as I see sin and tell you that it's sinful, A broken heart, a heart that realizes that it's our sin that sent Jesus Christ to the cross. A broken heart that realizes that, you know what, I have sinned and fall short of God's glory. God, forgive me. A repentant heart that said, you know what, I'm going to turn from those actions and I'm going to turn to you. And I'm going to throw myself at the foot of the cross and upon your mercy. Forgive me for I am a sinner. You know, I've mentioned to you last week there wasn't anyone who ever came to Jesus that Jesus turned down. They came to him with a broken and contrite heart. Back to Hebrews, what we see happening here is Jesus' purpose was to do God's will. And because of this, he's the great example for all God's people to follow. Though none of us will ever be able to, to do the will of God perfectly and completely as Jesus did, he's still the role model that we're to follow. His will was to do the will of God. What's your purpose in life? Why do you do what you do? Why do you want to do the things you want to do? What are your plans for the future? And how does that fall into what we see here? Here we learn from Jesus' example that our will should be the same as his, and that is to do the will of God. To do the will of God, but often God's will is difficult to know. We struggle with these questions. Granted, some of these things are no-brainers. You know, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't covet, don't fornicate, don't adulterate. You know, all of those things are very clear. Speak the truth in love. Work hard, earn so that you can share with those who are in need. Be kind, be tender, be forgiving, be, be, be all these things that God wants us to be. Those things are very clear, the will of God. Daniel in chapter 1 says that he proposed in his heart, he had a purpose in his heart, which was not to eat the king's food and defile himself because he would be obedient to what he knew the dietary restrictions were of the Old Testament. So he proposed in his heart that I'm not going to defile myself before God. Psalm 119 says, I've hidden my, God, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I don't sin against you. I got to know your word so I know what is right and what is wrong. So I know your will as it's revealed clearly in the word of God. And I've hidden those things. I meditate on those things day and night, being careful to do according to all that is written I'm according to Joshua 1. So then I will be successful, and then I'll be prosperous before God. I've got to know God's will, and I know it through his word. But what about in all these other areas of life, situations such as job opportunities or geographic moves from one place to the other? Or educational choices of one school or the other. Or your dating life as far as should I date this person or that person. Now that we're dating, should we get married or shouldn't we get married? Now that we're married, should we have children or not have children? How many should we have? You know, what should we do? All of these things. Ministry options and opportunities. Business expansion and retraction. How do I know whether we should expand our business? How would I know whether she should cap it off? How should we know if maybe we should step back and regroup and and reorganize? How can I be certain, God, that the decisions that we're making are in your will? And God's counsel to me and I share with you is very simple. He says, come to me and ask. Go to God and ask. If any man lacks wisdom, and it's not because the if might be so, it's if and it is so. If any man lacks wisdom, let him go to God and seek wisdom. God, what is it? ...that you want to teach me? Where is it that you want me to go? What's going on? What what should we do to seek his wisdom? To trust in the Lord with all of our heart... ...not lean on our own understanding... and all our ways acknowledge him... ...and he'll set our path straight. As he told Joshua, if you're careful to do... ...according to all that is written in my word... ...you'll be prosperous and you will be successful. You know, we, we, we pray, we study the word of God... ...we solicit counsel from godly friends... We discuss these things with our spouse and our children and those who are involved. We discuss it with as many people as we can to discern what it is that God's trying to say to us and to teach us. And then once we've come to some conclusion based on all of those things, then we step out in faith. Hebrews 11 says we walk by faith and not by sight we step out in faith. And any of you have ever seen the movie Indiana Jones, the very first one, Raiders of the Lost Ark, I think I was, you know, I don't know how old that movie is, but there was one part of the movie that just, I've never forgotten. It's a word picture that illustrates this truth. And if some of you have seen it, what happens is Indiana Jones, the, the central character in the film, he comes to a place where he's at the end of a cliff, at this cliff, and there's a great chasm in front of him. And on the other side is his only route of escape. And yet the chasm is, you know, hundreds of yards long and there's no way he can jump it. He can't leap it. He can't get to the other side. And then he's told to step out, to take a step. He's been led to this point of escape. He's been led to this point for direction. He says, take a step. And he's like, man, take a step. And it's like, there's, there's, there's uh, uh. and he takes a step. And as he steps, he goes, he, gets, he goes like that. And all of a sudden, this, this translucent path appears. And he takes one step, and he's not really sure how far this thing's going to take him. So he grabs behind him some dirt and some, some pebbles, and he throws it out in front of him. And as he throws it, and as the rocks hit it, all of a sudden, he sees the path lighten up before him. And he begins to walk, and he steps out, and he's led to the other side. What a beautiful picture of walking by faith and not by sight led to a point because of everything that we talked about, and then there's a point where God says, now you know what? Step out, and I will lead you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Don't be afraid, because I see the future as well as the past and the present. I know everything. Don't worry about it. Jesus said he came to do the will of God. And sometimes, and quite often I may add, doing God's will will cost us something you know doing god's will will cost us something all i got to do is read 2 corinthians chapter 11 the life of the apostle paul you know he was in trouble all the time for doing the right thing we live in a culture that says oh if something quote bad happens to me i must not be doing the right thing well you got to ask the question what's good and what's bad if it's because it's uncomfortable, then it's bad, then you know what? Then you better get back into the word of God. You better get back down on your knees. You better be seeking God's direction. You better be getting counsel from godly friends because, you know what? The disciples were in the middle of the storm because Jesus told them to get in the boat and go out on the lake. So that he could reveal his presence and his power in the midst of that circumstance. You know, we In fact, turn with me to, to Matthew chapter 10 as it relates to doing the will of God. Matthew chapter 10. In verse 36, Jesus says, Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. And what he's saying to them is, hey, hey, listen, uh, you know what? You're following, Matthew 10, uh, verse 26, is that where you're at? Is that what I told you? You are listening. That was just a test. But then verse 26 says, don't fear them. And what he's talking about, he, there, there was a group of people that are saying, hey, you know what? This person you're following is the devil himself. He's the devil himself, you know, and there was a certain fear that went along with, wait a minute, you know, the religious leaders, they certainly know who the devil is, and they're telling us that we're following the devil, and there was a fear that was in their hearts, saying, man, don't, you know, are you sure you're following the right person? Are you sure that Jesus Christ really is the Messiah? And he says, hey, therefore, don't fear them. For there's nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. When I, what I tell you in the darkness speak in the light and what you hear whispered in your ear proclaim upon the housetops and do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul but rather fear him, God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore, do not fear, you are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone therefore who shall confess me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of this household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more, more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it. He who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. You know, this is a perfect example of how as we read through Scripture, you know, we can say, but wait a minute, this contradicts everything else that I know. That, you know, as far as it's possible, be at peace with all men. You know, reconcile to all men. Forgive all. Be in harmony with all men. But the context that he's saying is to go into the world and tell everyone that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. You know and I know as we've come to that knowledge and have repented of our sin and trusted in Christ as our Savior, been born again by the will of God from above, have become children of God to those who believe in his name, that you know and I know the truth of what Jesus is saying. That in order for us to continue to promote him before mankind, there's a price that we will pay. Households have been divided because of one's faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. Jesus is saying in context, listen, I didn't come so that everybody will get along. I came to separate the goats from the sheep. I came to separate the wheat from the tare. I came to gather those who are mine to me, and those who are not will be separated for all of eternity. And we know, and you know, that even in our own households, that truth is apparent. Jesus said that, you know what? Shout it from the rooftops. Make known publicly the things that you have heard me teach and say. Go out into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And don't be afraid for I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Pick up your cross daily, denying yourself and following Jesus. You will not find anywhere in scripture that teaches easy beliefism. You will not find anywhere in scripture that teaches Christianity by convenience. You will not taught it anywhere in scripture. And what what the Lord clearly teaches is that there is a cost to follow Jesus Christ in obedience. And quite often the cost is our very lives. Not just our will, not just our desire, not just our hopes, not just our plans, but sometimes even our very physical life in order to be obedient to our calling. What is your purpose? Jesus' purpose was to do the will of God. And since we're to be like Jesus, that should be our purpose as well. We must also cry out as Jesus cried out in the garden. You know, if there's any other way, boy, I wish there was. But, Father, not my will be done, but yours. Purpose. Jesus also had a purpose, and that was to save lost sinners. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19. I love the simplicity of this encounter. Many of us are familiar with the story that we see here of Zacchaeus and his encounter with the Savior. We're told in verse 1 that as Jesus entered and was passing through Jericho, behold, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax gatherer and he was rich as a result. And he was trying to see who Jesus was and unable to because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. He ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. A sinner sought out by the Savior as the sinner was seeking him. That is the story of redemption over and over and over again. A sinner sought out by the Savior as the sinner was seeking him. The story of humility. Of a man who was very wealthy and had a high standing in his community. The reason he was rich is because he was a crook. He was a chief tax gatherer and basically the way it worked was under Roman law, anyone who was a tax gatherer had to take a certain amount of money in. That was their quota. Anything that they got above that and they could get, they could keep themselves. That's the danger of anybody that works in any kind of commission program that doesn't have a cap. Being in the construction industry, I see it all the time. We have people who come to be interviewed for jobs saying, I had to quit my last place of employment because we had to make so much on every call that we made. And on top of that, there was no ceiling. So if we could sell something for $12,000, that market value was $3,000, and we could take advantage of somebody, hey, I pocketed another $6,000. I couldn't live with myself anymore. But that was Zacchaeus. He could keep anything and everything above the amount that he had to turn in for his district that he was responsible for. The man was a crook. He fell short of the glory of God. He was a sinful man who was looking for a Savior. And he found him in Jesus. He humbled himself. Can you imagine a man of this stature and dignity climbing up in a tree and everybody making fun of him? A little guy, that wee little guy, wee little guy was he. Train up a child and away he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. So as we taught our children those songs, sometimes they just kind of come right back out. But the bottom line is that here was a guy who was running down the street looking for Jesus, couldn't see him because he was small height-wise, and he climbed up into a tree. Jesus saw him and said, Zacchaeus, come on down. The Bible says he received him gladly. But receiving him gladly is only a result of what had already happened in the man's heart because notice what he said. And when they saw it, the people, they all began to grumble, saying, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. You know, biggest accusation against Jesus was he hung out with sinful people. I mean, he said, hey, I I came to call sinners to repentance. That was my purpose. So why wouldn't I be hanging around sinners to call them to repentance when that was my purpose? It's beautiful. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, behold, as they were walking together, he said, half of my possessions... I will give to the poor, and if I have, and since I have defrauded people, I will give back to them four times as much. And I want you to notice a very important thing. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Now, was he saved because he said he would return the money that he'd stolen? Or as they were walking and as he received Jesus and he repented from his sin, he was convicted about sin and he wanted to make restitution, which is always fruit or evidence of a person who was truly born again. I've got to make that right. And Lord, since I've cheated these people, not only will I give back what I took, but I'll also pay punitive damages. And Jesus, with the joy of the Savior... Today, salvation has come to this man's household. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his purpose, to seek and to save that which was lost was lost in a moment of time. We'll look at that in a moment, but at this particular point, turn again to 1 Timothy as a reminder of the study that we just completed not long ago in 1 Timothy chapter one, verse 15, the purpose of Jesus Christ. The purpose. 1 Timothy chapter one, verse 15. It is a trustworthy statement You can bank on this for all of eternity. What God says is true. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Not partial, not bits of it, but all of it. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Among whom I am foremost of all. The purpose is Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am foremost of all. That was what Paul told Timothy. It's true of him. It's true of me. It's true of you. We are all sinners who fall short of the grace of God. But Jesus came to save us. Us, foremost of sinners, it's a trustworthy statement. His purpose was to seek and to save that which was lost. His purpose was to call sinners to repentance. The question today is this, have you answered his call? And if like Jesus, our purpose should be to follow God and his will, God's will for you and I who have come to be called from darkness to light is to proclaim the excellencies of him who has done so. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, and we also should be looking for every opportunity to lead every man, woman, and child to repentance and faith in the Savior. Is that your purpose? You know, we often sit around as human beings going, go, you know, what's my purpose in being here? Well, if you've come to know Christ, God's purpose for you and me is to share his plan of redemption with a lost world. Are you fulfilling that purpose? See, and then we get real personal and it gets really uncomfortable because, you know, say, oh, that, that's my purpose. And then we ask the question, who was the last person that you ever shared the gospel with? When did that happen? Who was it? Where were you? What were the circumstances? When was the last time that you shared the gospel with a lost person? If that's our purpose... You'd think we'd be doing it. But it's never too late to start. The purpose of Jesus was to fulfill the law. You know, Matthew five seventeen, Jesus said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law, but I've came to fulfill it. I've came to complete it. The law was the end of the road. It was a path that would lead to Jesus, as we'll see in a moment. And Romans 10, 4 says the same thing. What was the purpose behind God giving the law to humanity? The purpose was so that we all would recognize that we are as guilty as God says that we are. The purpose was to help us to see that we can't keep God's laws. The purpose was to help us to see that even on our best day, we still fall short of the glory of God. We don't always love God with our whole mind, heart, soul and strength. We don't always do the things that God commands, even in His 10 Commandments, yet alone in the other 630 that they were able to chronicle throughout the, the, the scriptures. 640 commandments. We can't keep one every day. And the whole purpose of the law to help us to see what God already knows. We're guilty as charged by God. The purpose of law is to help us realize how hopeless we all are. I was talking to a neighbor just the other day. He talked about sharing the gospel with somebody. I came running around the corner and and he was standing there and I looked over at him. We've had many conversations about 15 years older than me. And he looked at me and said, Hey, did you run that extra mile for me today? You know, that was this thing, hey, run one for me. You know, and he got a drink in his hand, and he's like, hey, run one, run one, run one. I said, like, okay, fine, I'll run one for you. So come around the corner, and I said, that was, no, you're killing me, man, having, you know, run all these miles for you. But, but I walked around the corner, I looked at him and I said, you know what, let me ask you a question. If this evolution thing is supposed to be right, shouldn't it be getting easier for me every time I go out for a run than harder as I get older? <laughs> and he goes, that's a, good, that's a good point. And it led immediately from that to, you know what, the gospel how the transition was simple said hey you know what he said hey i don't know if you know us he drives a truck for texaco or whoever took them over and whatever but he said you know i don't know if you know us but if you're ever up early in the morning about 1 o'clock i'm sitting in my office and i'm meditating on good thoughts my good thoughts for the day and i go wow that's great what's a good thought give me an example now, see, most people, they don't go there. And he's been getting away with this for years, you know, just telling people I'm thinking good thoughts. So I'm thinking, well, give me an example. What's a good thought for today? And he goes, well, I said, how do you know what a good thought is and a bad thought is? You know, if it's a good thought, bad thought. And he goes, well, I, you know, I have, a, I have a, a church background years ago. And, you know, I, I think I know the difference between right or wrong. And he gave me the old Ten Commandments thing. And I went right back to him with what I've always said. Hey, what are they? And then we got into a discussion of the Ten Commandments, and, and I was surprised. He knew seven of them, you know, which was, you know, which is you know, that's 70%. That's a C, you know. We're going to move them forward to the next lesson. And uh, so we, we got in this conversation, and, and, you know, we started talking about good things and bad things, and I started talking about it. I said, you know what? When you were in that church background that you were in, they were telling you to do all these good things. Were you able to do them all? He goes, absolutely not. I said, well, if you were like me, I came from the same kind of background. I just gave up. I said, man, you know what, this, I can't do this. This is hopeless. He said, so did I. I said, you know, the whole reason for it is God gives us his laws, so we see that it's hopeless. We can't keep his laws. It's impossible. And then I shared the gospel with him very clearly that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for our sins he rose again from the dead. And everything hinges upon, you know, his claims to be a Messiah, his claims that he is God in human flesh, his claim to be able to forgive sin and went through some of the things that we had just been studying and laid it all out with him clearly. And you know what he said? He goes, I like talking to you. Now, now this is about 40 minutes later, and he looked at me and said, but it looks like you're starting to get cold. You know, why don't you go head in? <laughs> I said, well, I appreciate your compassion for me, man. But we're going to pick it back up, you know, because that's not the end of it. And it's awesome to see what God is doing to reach people. But the whole purpose of the law was to culminate everything that God said that he would do through the law. To help people to understand that the law can never save. It was impossible to keep the the law. It's impossible to, to do these things. And if it's impossible, then what can we do? The law is a tutor. That leads us to Christ. And Jesus Christ came to redeem those who are under the law. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Well, in fact, look at Galatians chapter 3, where we're told that the law is a tutor that leads us to Jesus Christ as the only answer. The only hope that man will ever have. Galatians chapter 3. Notice in verse 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that, that's a purpose statement in scripture, by the way. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. He goes on in verse 24, which I just mentioned. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith that we would be justified by faith. The word redemption is a word that means to buy back. It's a a Roman practice that was allowed for someone to buy a slave out of slavery, not for the purpose of enslaving them to you as the owner, but to buy a slave out of slavery in order to adopt that slave as a son who was an heir of all that you owned. Could you imagine how beautiful that would be? To adopt a slave out of slavery. Not to continue to enslave that one, but so that that one would become a son or an heir of all that you own. Do you realize that's what the Bible says about you and I? Romans chapter 8, we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. That Jesus Christ died on the cross to redeem us, buy us out of slavery so that we can be sons or heirs of all that God has for us. Isn't that awesome? That was his purpose. His purpose was also to demonstrate God's righteousness. When you have a chance, read Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. The passage teaches that God is a righteous judge of sin and shows no partiality, no favoritism. That God judges sin equally And there's only one way that we can find forgiveness, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, no one will find his or her way to heaven other than the path of forgiveness that leads to the cross and to the empty tomb. That he came to demonstrate God's righteousness. That no one can ever question whether God would do that which was right. He came to manifest God's love. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son... That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ coming into the world made known to man, manifested, made visible, made apparent to all the love of God. How can any person ever claim that God doesn't love them? What kind of God, what what kind of God of love would allow this to happen and that to happen and something else to happen? Let me ask you a question. What more could God have done to demonstrate his love for you and I than to give his own son upon the cross so that we could be redeemed, bought back out of slavery to sin and death and the devil to be an heir to God of all that he has for his people? How can anyone say that God doesn't love them? The only way they can say it is that they don't know God and they don't know his love because they've never heard the gospel, and that's your fault and that's my fault because we know it and we're to share it. See, 1 John 3.16 says this, by this we know love because he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. Another purpose of Jesus Christ was to bring us to God. To bring us to God in Hebrews chapter two, turn with me there. Hebrews two says that we have access to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. You and I have access to God, the throne room of God. We can go to the very throne room of God to find mercy in our time of need. Access to God. Jesus came to bring us to God. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, But we do see him who has been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom all... Are, for whom are all things and through whom all are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings to bring us to glory to bring us to the throne room of God absent from the body present with the Lord for those who have come to faith in Christ that Jesus Christ came to bring us to God access to God you know, after the World Series, I was sitting in the locker room and I was downstairs in a, in a room next to where everything, all the celebrations were going on and, and uh, Garrett and I were sitting just, you know, he was having something to eat and we were just sitting there talking and you, know, and, and, you know, and not one person ever came and looked at me and said, why are you here? Because I had access. Not only did I have a media pass, but I was sitting with guys who, I w- I, it was kind of like, I'm with him. Even if somebody's, I'm with, I'm with him. And just that alone would have kept anybody from giving me a hard time. I'm with him. We have access to heaven because we're with Jesus. I'm with him. But the wonderful thing is, God the Father will never ask, why are you here? Because he knows us. His sheep know his voice, and they have answered his call. He knows us, and we know him, and we have access. Through Jesus Jesus also came to destroy the devil's power to destroy the devil's power Hebrews 2 while we're there look back at, and look at verses 14 and 15 since then the children share in flesh and blood he himself Jesus likewise also part, partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death that is the devil And might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. Why did Jesus become flesh and die? He became flesh and died for the purpose of destroying the devil's power to release us from his grip. And it fulfilled this prophecy that one day when the Messiah would come, the devil would bruise his heel on the cross. But Jesus would crush his head. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? On the cross, Jesus' heel was bruised by the devil, but his head was crushed by the finality of that sacrifice offered once and for all time and the resurrection from the dead. When I was a kid growing up in Pennsylvania, we had a field down at the end of our street. It was a dead-end street. If I knew we could could have called it a cul-de-sac, we probably could have raised the prices of homes in the neighborhood 30%. But it was a dead-end street. And so at the end of the street, there was a field that was there, and we would go there and play ball and would do other things. And one time, vi- very vividly, I've never forgotten, we were playing, we are doing some things, the ball went in the weeds, went to go get it, and as I went into the weeds, a snake jumped out at me. After I almost wet my pants, I grabbed the biggest rocket I could find, and I just dropped it on its head. Ooh, word picture. Take it home, have a nice lunch. But but I share that for this purpose. That's what Jesus did to the devil on the cross. He tried, but he couldn't do it. The devil tried, but he couldn't stop him. The devil tried in every way, but he couldn't stop the purpose of God that Jesus would die on the cross for our sins. And when Jesus died and rose again, he crushed the head of the devil, the serpent of old, and he killed him and he made them useless for God's people. Folks, listen very carefully. If you've come to genuine faith in Christ, stop making excuses for your sin. If you've come to genuine faith in Christ, stop making excuses for your sin and disobedience to God because the devil has no grip over you or I, God's children. He came to destroy the devil's power and render him powerless to God's people. The only reason God's people sin is because we choose to. The reason everyone else in the world sins is because they're sinners who are enslaved to the devil and his power. They're of their father, the devil. That's what Jesus said. They have no power. They have no hope. They have no opportunity whatsoever to render the devil powerless other than going to the cross and trusting in Jesus Christ. Jesus' purpose was to be a merciful and faithful high priest. In Hebrews 2, 17 and 18, therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things that he might become a merciful, faithful high priest in things pertaining to God and make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted, and in him there is no sin whatsoever. Jesus Christ is our faithful and merciful high priest. You and I can go to him with anything and everything that troubles us and tempts us, and we don't have to worry about the lie of the devil whispering to us that God won't understand this. You're so messed up that not even God will understand this. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God understands how messed up we all are. And he loves us anyway. And he says, come to me. Come to me with all your burdens. Come to me, you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He knows. He's been here. He's experienced it. And yet he has not sinned. He's come to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He's come to serve and to give his life a ransom to many. In Mark 10.45 it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ came to give. His death is sufficient for all, but efficient only for those who believe. Again, the question is, have you believed? When did you believe? What did you believe? What were the circumstances that surrounded your belief? Remember, Jesus said to Martha, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that even though you die, you will surely live? Do you believe? And she said, I have believed. That you are the Christ, the Son of God, He who comes in the flesh. There was a point in time where she believed that she was a sinner. That she was hopeless. That there was no way she could ever work her way into God's presence. There was no way she could ever do enough offerings for her sin. She knew that. She came to that conclusion. God, forgive me for I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus came to die for me. I believe it. I accept him. I receive him as my savior. I have believed. I have believed. February 16th, 1978. I have believed. Have you? It's not something that happens by accident. It's not something that you, I think I, I did some point in time. Resolve that once for all of eternity. Believe today. I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe there's nothing I can do. I believe that God loved me and did it all, that Jesus came and died for me. I believe that he rose again from the dead and that he proved that he can forgive my sins. I believe, Lord God, help me in my unbelief. And I receive him as my savior here and now. A broken and contrite heart God will never despise. God knows our heart. He's not hung up on the externals. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom of many. He came to reconcile us to God. In Romans 5, verses 9 through 11, we're told that he came to reconcile, which means simply to buy back that which was lost. When were you lost? When was I lost? Hey, you know what? We come into the world born lost in case there's any question in your mind about some turning point in your life. We're all born into the world lost. The Bible says when Adam sinned, sin entered into the world, and with sin came death. Spiritual separation from God, physical death. Every memorial service I speak at, I ask the question, why do we die? And it's not because of the ailment, the ailment, or whatever the diagnosis is that we read about in the obituaries. We die because the soul that sins will surely die. That's why we die. When I read natural causes, I like to explain to people, he died of natural causes. He was a sinner. Now you and I laugh because we know what I'm talking about. But when you say that to a group of people who have no concept of what's going on, it's a beautiful way to be able to explain it. That's natural causes. To reconcile us, to make things right as they once were. When were things right... When God created Adam and Eve, and they were, you know, at that point in time having fellowship with God and harmony with God, at peace with God, when did things go south? When they chose to sin before God, and when they sinned and disobeyed and rebelled against God, sin entered into the world, and when sin entered the world, death came as a result. And every one of us are born in the world at enmity or at enemy of God. And the reason we sin is because we're sinners, and it becomes apparent that what God says is true. You know, think about it. Anyone with small children, I always like to use this illustration. Anybody with small children, you don't have to have a seminar or a lesson on teaching them to rebel against authority. You just don't. Here, eat eat your food. Whoa, no, and there it goes all over the place. We've seen it, lived through it, and have seen it all the time. We see it in restaurants all the time. Now, please eat your food, and they go, no, please eat your food, no, and you just wanna go, can I share the gospel with you people? Because, you know, what's going on here? You know, it wasn't like, you know, our children went to school and then came home with this new concept. Today the teacher taught us how to say no to our parents. They didn't have to do that. We come into the world shaking our fist at God saying, don't tell me what to do. God says this, we say no. God says this is right This is wrong. We say, who do you think you are? We'll do what we want to do. And then we'll try to figure out some way to protect ourselves from all the consequences. You know, somehow or another, sin safely. What? (laughs) Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. What a man sows, he's going to reap, man. I mean, what in the world are you talking about? Here, take this pill, take this patch, put this thing on, take this, that, or the other thing. You can do whatever you want to do and somehow minimize the consequences of the damage of what God says don't do. If you do it, you're going to pay a price. And man says, you know what? We will find a way to prove you wrong. And God says, you are wrong. For I am God and you're not. So either humble yourself before me or you will shake your fist in my face as I condemn you for all of eternity. God gives us a choice. And in closing, we're told that he came to bear our sins, to take away our sins, and to forgive our sins. To bear in himself all the sins of the world. Not just one person, but every sinner who has ever lived or ever will. First Peter 2, 24. To take away our sin means to blast off gone. Not just cover him according to the Old Testament, but Jesus came in First John 3, 5. He said he had come for the purpose of taking away our sin. What a beautiful picture of just a rocket that just takes off into the space and this goes and is gone for eternity. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us who have come to the cross and trusted in him. Gone. Never to be brought back up again. Gone. Past, present, and even future. Gone. To forgive our sins. The greatest need of all human beings is forgiveness of sin, to repent, to respond with faith to the finished work of Christ His death and resurrection, to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, to find forgiveness in God. There is no other way. Do you know him as your Savior? Now, those are some of the purposes of Christ's coming. And in light of these truths, a question arises, and that's this. What is your purpose? What have you learned? How is God speaking to you about what he wants you to apply in your life? Very personally, here's what I learned. You know what? It's not about my will, but God's. It's not about my comfort, but conformity to Christ. I learned that God created me for a purpose, to know and to serve him, to use the gifts he's given me for his purpose, to do the work that he has prepared for me to do before the foundation of the world. I know that my purpose is to not get so caught up in this world because I'm just... Passing through, a stranger, an alien, a renter. I've learned that, you know, my purpose is to use this life as preparation for the next. I've learned that God wants to use me as a spokesperson to help that one lost person understand what God knows about them and they don't understand themselves at this point, to share the gospel of God's redeeming love. I know that His purpose is for me to give him all of my heart, all of my soul, and all of my strength. And I know that God's purpose for me is to never confuse busyness for effectiveness for the cause of Christ. When the great exhibition of the works of industry of all nations was opened by Queen Victoria in 1851, says people flocked to Hyde Park to behold what they called the marvels The magic power back then was steam. Steam plows, steam organs, steam engines, steam cannons. And do you know what won the prize? It was a steam-driven invention that had over 7,000 moving parts of all kinds. Pulleys, bells, whistles, gears, gears that messed with other gears that hummed in harmony, world in perfect synchronization. It was a sight to behold, and interestingly, it accomplished nothing. You know, when I heard and read that story... I had this thought in mind and it sounds like a whole bunch of us as Christians doesn't it we got a whole bunch of stuff going on but we are not accomplishing anything for the kingdom of God what's your purpose you know to carry out our purpose the alternative is to have a high powered machine that looks impressive and runs on steam which is just another word for hot air don't be full of hot air but be filled with the purpose of God that he may be glorified in what we do. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be together. We thank you for your word. We ask that you bless it and and, and as you promise that it goes forth and it accomplishes your purposes, that each one of us will be motivated to be a servant of yours. God, I pray for that one person that's not sure of their relationship with you, that today would be the day when they have believed that Jesus Christ came in the flesh to die on the cross for their sins, rose again, demonstrated his power over sin and death, and the devil and his, his stranglehold or grip on them, that they would be freed, that they would be bought back from slavery to be an heir of all things of God, that they would cry out, Father, Abba, forgive me of my sins. God, we thank you that a broken heart you'll never despise, that one who comes to the cross will never be turned away. And we praise you in Christ's name, amen. Next week, uh, the last uh, message in the series will be the promises of Christ and we'll look forward to seeing you then.